All right, here we go. You ready for Christmas? I mean, are you ready, ready? How many of you put lights up? I'm just curious. You put lights up at the house on the outside. Yes, good job, Abby. I love that. And our street, our neighborhood, it seems like there are more and more houses every year, which I love. And um, we have some new neighbors. They've gone all out for 4th of July. It was incredible. Not only the decorations, but then the fireworks forever. And then, um, I'm not complaining necessarily, but it was amazing. And then Halloween, they went over the top. I don't think there was a square inch of grass left in the yard without something. And so it crossed my mind if they would do something for Christmas, and they have. So it's exciting. I mean, it's fun. It's just lit up. In fact, it lights our bedroom up. So, I mean, it's cool. I'm not complaining. It's just, (laughs) you got all these red, and, and they don't, you know, like ours, I put them on a timer. So they, I figure after 10, nobody cares, right? So I just have them shut off. Well, there's, there's are all night long, just saying. So it's cool. But how about trees? You guys put trees up? Okay, so here's what I'm really curious about. How many trees? So how many put up one tree? Just raise your hands. I'm just curious. You can put this on the chat too, because I'm curious. How many put up two? How many three have three trees up? Okay, there's hands. How many four? Because I was in a house just this week that had at least five. I saw five. How many have five up? (laughs) You're pointing at Dave. Okay. How many have six up? I'm just seeing if we can hit the threshold here. Okay, there's one with six, two with six. How many have seven up? Okay. How many have eight up? Eight up? Okay, well, seven. Okay, that's a lot. All right. I I would think you're ready if you have seven trees up. Okay. All right. Well, today might be, might seem different for you if you, if you follow the notes. So if, how many of you use YouVersion Bible app? I always put our notes in the YouVersion Bible app. All you have to do is go into those three little lines, which is the menu, look for events, hit events, and then ours should pop up. If you've allowed Big Brother to know where you are at all time, then it will know you're in this church and this is the event that you're looking for. If not, you can put in 64064 as a zip code and it'll find the notes. And if you looked at the notes, you would see that it says the Christmas invasion. And you might be thinking, that doesn't sound very Christmassy. Or it might sound like some corny Christmas movie. It's not. I'm, that is what we're talking about today. And as, what I want to do is I want to read to you a section from C.S. Lewis's Mere Christianity. If you've never read that book, I encourage you to read it. It's an amazing book. What it is is actually a compilation of radio addresses that he was asked by the British government to do on the BBC during the bombing of Britain in 1941. It was amazing. Amazing. And what he does is lay out there, it's called mere Christianity, but it doesn't mean what we mean by mere, you know, languages change, plus they're British and it was the 50s. What he means is common, plain, normal Christianity. So here's a quote. One of the things that surprised me when I first read the New Testament, seriously, because he didn't grow up a Christian, was that it talks so much about a dark power in the universe, a mighty evil spirit who is held to be the power beneath, behind death and disease and sin. The difference is that Christianity thinks this dark power was created by God and was good when he was created and went wrong. 
Christianity agrees with dualism that this universe is at war, but it does not think that the war is between independent, equal powers. It thinks that it is a civil war, a rebellion, and that we are living in a part of the universe occupied by the rebel. Enemy-occupied territory. That's what this world is. <laughs> I know that may all sound crazy, right? And dualism, if you're not familiar with that term, that's, that's the idea that God and the devil are equals. You know, like you have an angel on one shoulder, a demon on the other, or what devil or whatever. Or maybe like yin and yang, or like the force where it's equal powers. That's not the Christian worldview. The enemy's actually created, but fallen. But he has dominion. It's, the fact is that he fell, and he fell out of pride. The drive and the desire to be equal with God, or to get the praise that only belonged to God. It's really the same sin that he tempted Eve with in the garden that she could become God or make the rules for herself. It's the same temptation that runs rampant in our world today. We want to make ourselves God and we make the rules and we define reality. You've you've heard it a lot, right? You can identify as what you want or speak your own truth. Not the truth, my truth. And then my truth trumps all truth. Same lie. So we are in occupied territory, and that's what the world is. Now, this sounds really dark, and for some of you, you may be surprised to hear that. For some of you, it's no surprise, but it may be that as you were growing up, it didn't seem like that. So maybe for you, like me, I I don't know that I had that impression that the world was occupied territory when I was growing up. And I think there's reasons for that that we can all maybe relate to because I think part of it is we kind of glamorize our childhood a little bit. And as we look back and remember things, we don't always remember everything because we didn't know everything, right? Maybe your parents protected you from things and gave you the best they could. And so it didn't seem like that. Like you didn't know. I mean, there's certain things you didn't know. Like, you know, I think it's funny now that I'm an adult and realize we never drank soda. Like we didn't drink it. It wasn't around. It was super special. Like, it would be a special day if we split like a six-pack with the family. Does that sound funny to you? We, I don't know if we couldn't afford it, but it didn't matter because I look back and I didn't feel deprived. I look back and it was still good days. And I look back with wonder at those days, especially, though, around Christmas, right? The memories with the lights and the presents and the Christmas tree and the laughter, Maybe you grew up in a Christian home. And so your memories of those days kind of shape how you felt like the world was. So there was, there was smiles and no yelling. And maybe you had loving parents and a supportive church. And there was peace and harmony. I don't know if you had a childhood like that. Because not everybody has a childhood like that. Because some people in the room, it's quite likely, didn't have that. But still, maybe the world seemed more stable before. And it's hard for you to think of it as occupied territory. Or maybe it seemed like the the country was more Christian. Remember those days? Anybody? Where Christian values were mainstream and not considered extreme? I don't know if you heard, but the current administration is trying to make it difficult for conservative Christians to adopt. TV shows were wholesome. Remember that? And family-oriented. And and maybe we, we didn't notice things because... In, in reality, the moral failings of, of kind of the movie stars and the sports stars and even our presidents were hidden from us. Now we know things that they did and you hear about and you think, oh my goodness, 
No one would have expected to find a pornographic book in a school library. You know, the LGBT agenda wasn't pushed in movies and media and government and fathers were respected, marriage was respected. The world has changed dramatically. Whether you're aware of it or not, now you are. And now you see it a lot. And the world all around us is changing and the past few years has changed a lot. But here's what's true. The world has always been enemy territory. Whether you recognize it or not, it's always been his territory. And even though things might have looked good behind the scenes, it wasn't good for everybody. And there was a lot of evil there. And it's always been that way. It's been that way ever since Adam and Eve sinned in the garden and gave dominion of the earth over to the enemy. There's been a war for your soul and it's been raging whether you realize it or not. Now, I've mentioned many times that I grew up in the Navy and my dad was, uh, we were, at one point we lived in the Philippines. It was the best time as a kid. I loved every minute of it. I mean, I remember walking and we got to see the, the, the moon landing on, on a TV, I remember at the servicemen center and all my memories from those days are great. But you know what was going on when we lived there? You know why we lived there? Because the Vietnam War was happening. What I did not know, I knew my dad was gone every other week. I didn't know where he went. I had no idea that he was flying parts and planes and things into Vietnam and then back. I had no idea. There was a war going on and I didn't know. And that's kind of how it is with us a lot of times. We are living in occupied territory and the war that's raging for your soul has been raging since the beginning of time. And you didn't even know. You're part of it and you don't even know. And it's over you and you don't even know. And there's times where you're more or less aware of it because it hits us in the face. And then other times you're just not aware. Or maybe we medicate in, a, in not a bad way, but we're just busy or we're doing good things or we're, we're fighting it and it doesn't seem as real. The war is over you. God created human beings for a loving, free relationship. We are the target. The enemy knows he can't compete with God, so what he wants to do is go after God's creation. And that's what he's done with his full force. And he's been doing it from the beginning. Now, we've had it easy, most of us, for, for most of life. That's true for Americans, where most of the world and most of history has not been that way. Most of them would look at the world and say, well, of course it's a war zone. Look, all the poverty and the fact that sustenance living has been the, the, the plight of most humans for most of human history. For most of humanity, it's taken 90% of their time just to get enough food and, and shelter. Violence. You think about the world as it is, the raw world that's around us, the oppression from, from governments and tyrants and warlords and clan leaders and the fact that unequal rights are the norm for all of history for humanity unequal rights in the courts unequal rights with housing unequal rights with genders with incomes with jobs slavery think about that america the one that we've lived in at least the last few years the last 50 70 90 years it's been pretty special it's something that most of the world has never experienced. And it wasn't the world in the first century either. It was even worse. The idea that you might die just from getting an infection or, you know, think about there was no penicillin, no medicines. Nothing that we use today on a daily basis existed back then. 
you know, the death rate was, was really common and, and high. And the fact that infant mortality was huge. And most people didn't live past their 30s. It's a rough world. It's interesting. If we go back to the first century, you realize it wasn't called the first century, though, back then. Right? Because something happened. Something happened that made it be called that. I mean, something happened huge. It was very monumental. And it literally is the hinge point of all history. Something happened. There was something that happened that, that changed the world. And, and what's, what's fascinating is a majority of the world celebrates what happened in the first century that made it be called that century. Something happened and what happened, the entire world is going to celebrate soon. There was a Jewish boy that was born in Israel. He was born there in very humble circumstances. I mean, circumstances that maybe some can relate to. Most of us probably not. And, and some people may be worse circumstances, but something happened. It was an unplanned pregnancy. It was actually a, born to an underclass person. And they lived in an occupied land. A land where their rights were denied. A land where their religion was mocked openly, often. And they were persecuted. See... The Jews have been exiled from their ancestral land by the Assyrians and then the Babylonians. And then they have returned in right around 538 BC because something happened. We call it BC because Christ happened before Christ. Of course, now we say before the current era. It is always comical. Like current to what? Why the change? Why then? The fact is that they were returned to their land in 538, but they weren't independent. Then they lived under, they lived under Greek rule for hundreds of years, then Roman rule for hundreds of years. It was during that time that Rome placed a very cruel man as king of the Jews. I don't like using air quotes often because it looks dorky. No offense if you do that. I'm just sorry. Now I'm. They called him king of the Jews. It was a title he assumed. He was related. His, one of his wives was Jewish. And the Jews were offended. Not, offended is not a good word. They were incensed that he was called their king. Because when they thought of a king, you know the king they thought of was King David. But for King David, you'd have to go back all the way back to like 1023 BC to get to King David. And then all the kings that followed him And they were looking for this person who was going to come, who would be the heir of that king, the real king, not the king of the Jews that was Herod. And Herod was cruel. He he killed his own sons because he thought they were trying to take over. He killed his stepsons. He killed one of his wives. Caesar actually said at the time that it was better to be his pig than his son. That's how cruel he was. There was a relative peace, though that the Romans had imposed. We call it in history, we call it the Pax Romana. So there was a special time in history where there was relative peace. But that peace came at a high price because Rome, the entire Roman Empire, it worked off not only slavery, but high, high taxation. And I was looking, I was curious if I could even find tax rates. What I found is that the average farmer in Judea, Israel at the time, would have to pay half of their salary in taxes. That's hard to imagine, isn't it? It was unrelenting taxation, and the abuse was unrelenting. 
Men ruled with no voice for women or children. A Roman soldier could demand that you give them lodging without payment. They could also demand that you carry their gear for one mile. That's, when, that's why Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, he says, if somebody asks you for your coat, give him your coat, your shirt too. And when he says, if someone asks you to take, carry their things for a mile, carry it too. They were dark days, very dark days. So where was God in all that? And that momentous event that everybody's gonna celebrate in a couple weeks, what we call Christmas, why then? What was God doing? I mean, where had he been? Because I don't know if you realize this looking at scripture, the Old Testament goes right up to the book of Malachi, then there's 400 years of silence before we get to the book of Matthew and Jesus. What was God doing? It was a rough time to live. It was a very dangerous time to live. All humanity was, was living and basically with very little hope. They needed salvation because we can't save ourselves. They were living difficult, difficult lives. But there was a promise. And this promise of God had been spoken 700 years before this time by the prophet Isaiah. Gives me chills to think about this. That promise said that, that well, actually, this promise even goes farther back than that, like 1,500 years. So that, that sin, the sin that had ruled humanity was about to be broken. And it said that all the way back to the garden. So if you remember in the garden when the enemy had, had fooled Adam and Eve, that he was cursed by God. And I want you to read this curse with me. And I will cause hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and, and her offspring. And he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. That promise the Jews had been carrying for 1,500 years. And like the song says, long lay the world in sin and error pining till he appears and the soul felt its worth. A thrill of hope the weary world Rejoices. Can you imagine how weary the world had gotten? If our world right now is occupied territory, imagine what it was like then. For yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. The world needed redemption. The world needed relief. The world needed salvation. The world needed the enemy to be crushed. They needed that. So now we look at the book of Galatians and Paul is sharing this, this concept with the church in Asia Minor, and he says, that's the way it was before Christ came. We were like children. We were slaves to the basic spiritual principles of this world. But when the right time came, when the right time came, God sent his son, born of a woman, subject to the law. That hinge point of history, before Christ, after death, B.C., A.D., that hinge point, was God's right time. Why? Why was that the right time? Why did he wait all that time? That that's the time when the seed of the woman would crush the head of Satan. This promise of God actually was signaled by another prophecy, and this is the one 700 years before Christ, and this is the prophet Isaiah. He says, the Lord himself will give you the sign. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. I love this. In parentheses, in Isaiah, it says, which means God is with us. God is with us. You know where God was before? 
They always looked at it as if God was in the temple or God was in the tabernacle and his spirit stayed there or he might be up on a mountain. They didn't have the concept that he was with us, with us. As Christians, I know, 21st century Christians, that's our concept. But if you can get outside of that and realize that in their world, it wasn't like that. God was far away and distant and the world was dark and dangerous and brutal and he wasn't right there. How does God crush Satan's head? What was his plan for that? How does he change the world? What was he doing? What was going to happen there? I want to go back to that quote from C.S. Lewis because I intentionally left off the last part. So here he says it again. I'm going to read it again. One of the things that surprised me when I first read the New Testament series was that it talks so much about a dark power in the universe, a mighty evil spirit who was held to be the power behind death and disease and sin. The difference is that Christianity thinks this dark power was created by God. He was good when he was created and he went wrong. Christianity agrees with dualism that this universe is at war, but it does not think that the war is between independent equal powers. It thinks that it is a civil war, a rebellion, and that we are living in a part of the universe occupied by the rebel. And here's the part. Enemy occupied territory, and that's what the world is. Christianity is the story of how the rightful king has landed. Man, it gets me. The rightful king has landed. You might say that he's landed in disguise and is calling us all to take part in a great campaign of sabotage. I don't know, I'm gonna read that again. The enemy occupied territory, that is, the, that is what the world is. But Christianity is the story of how the rightful king has landed. And you might say landed in disguise and is calling all of us to take part in a great campaign of sabotage. That's what happened at the hinge point of history is that God inserted Jesus, the real rightful king, not the fake king, the rightful king, King Jesus. And he landed, which is Christmas. That's what Christmas is. He landed in occupied territory behind enemy lines, which is our world, in disguise as a helpless human baby. God's amazing, isn't he? Isn't he amazing? Why would he do it that way? Why would he land like that? A helpless little baby. Whoever, who would think of that? Why did he do it like that? Think about this minute. He's a helpless little baby, just like all of us were at one time. There's not a lot of things you can say we've all experienced, but every single one of us were born of a woman and we were born helpless and needing care, just like Jesus. Amazing. He left glory. He left everything. He created this world, and yet he came and submitted himself to be born as this little baby, a poor, unknown, unrich, unimportant, unfamous family, just like us, just like us. A baby that needed to be fed and changed and held and protected and nurtured, just like us. And then he lived a life being tempted and challenged and grew up just like us. He's the perfect, the perfect way. I don't know if you see this. He snuck in the savior, the king, just like us. He became one of us. That's what Emmanuel means. God with us. 
He joined us in this fallen world. Now, I, I sympathize with people who are overwhelmed with something in their lives that is evil or an event in history that's evil or a shooting or something. And they say, how can God be good? And he doesn't deal with this. He doesn't do anything to stop these evils. What they don't realize is not only does he, but he did in the most incredible way of all. He joined us in the middle of the evil itself. And he took all of it on himself and he crushed Satan's power in doing so. Let's get back to that Galatians passage. So I want to to start again. He says, that's the way it was before Christ came. We were like children. We were slaves to the basic spiritual principles of the world. But when the right time came, that hinge point in history, God sent his son, born of a woman, subject to the law. Listen to this. God sent him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law so that he could adopt us as his very own children. And because we are his children, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, prompting us to call out, Abba, Father. Abba, Father. Which, Abba is actually a common Jewish language at the time, and it meant daddy. It's like you're saying, daddy, father. It's like, I mean, I don't know what you call your dad. I know if you were in, if you were in Israel today, you would hear a child call their father Abba. That's what that means. It's dad. Daddy. It's amazing. He sent Jesus to come to purchase that back, that relationship for us, that we can know God on that level of a personal relationship. Abba, Father. Now you are no longer a slave, but God's own child. And since you are his child, God has made you his heir. What it means is the way that he crushed Satan's head is he crushed the power of sin over us. Maybe you never thought about this, but sin is, sin is a powerful evil in our lives. We're not, we, we don't think of it that way, but the fact is, if you think about how sin works, it, it holds us captive. And what it does is, in the beginning, it seems small. And then as it grows, it, it, the draw of it grows. It's, it's like an addiction that you don't see coming, and then all of a sudden, you can't give it up. It's, think about it. One lie leads to another. You tell a lie, and then you're almost found out, and you have to tell another, and another, and another, and it breaks relationship, and... Somebody smart said, if you always tell the truth, you don't have to worry about what you said. Think about this. Selfishness. It leads to you doing things that take advantage of other people and then pretty soon your selfishness ends in you being alone. Think about the cycle that it is. I mean, hate you know, leads to you being cruel and mean and then people avoid you and then you become bitter and it's this cycle that the enemy loves to trap us in. But Jesus has come to break that cycle and to give us freedom from all of that. You've heard the saying, hurt people, what? What do healed people do? Heal people. Hurt people, yeah, they hurt people. And there's times where you understand someone being mean and cruel because you know they've been hurt. But it still doesn't feel good when they hurt you and you feel that compulsion to hurt them back. But the truth is, when God has healed you, then you become part of the sabotage of the enemy of this world. (laughs) I don't think of it that way, but you're sabotaging his evil works by you being part of the healing team. And you change teams. And you're no longer susceptible to being hurt, but then you become a healer. (laughs) It's a powerful thing. You're no longer alone in this world. You join God's family. 
The idea that you are never, ever, ever alone. That you are now part of who he is. The chaos, the pain, that all this world is the lying, the cheating, the selfishness, the morality, the, the hate, the pride. All those things are powerful, but he's more powerful. And he's come and landed behind enemy lines and created this entire army of subversive angels that fight against the evil that's in this world. If I could have whoever's going to play keys for us here today. It's crazy. This cosmic battle rages. And I started off by talking about that and pointing out the fact that you may not realize or have seen how real the battle is. Even though at times you've probably been part of it, but you may not have thought about it. The beauty of Christianity, and if I'm honest, the frustrating thing is too, is that God gives us completely the choice. You choose what team you're going to be on. Now, before you knew this, you were on the other team and you didn't even know. It's not even fair, right? It's like the devil picks all his players before we even get started. And then if you're on his team, you have to choose to leave it and join God's team. That's how it works. But you choose. Why? Why doesn't he just pick us and we don't have to choose? Why doesn't he make it easier? Why doesn't he make it more obvious? Why doesn't he, you know, just show up all the time and anytime you're about to make a mistake, either show up and say, don't, don't do that. Or, or maybe he's just zap you or something. Wouldn't it be easier? Yeah, then you'd be a robot or you'd just be somebody avoiding pain and not doing the right thing because you want to. That's what changes it. That's what changes it is a choice that you make to join. (laughs) You're all going to serve somebody. The fact is you choose who. And once you know who, then it's up to you. You may not have been aware you're in the battle. You may have been living this life unaware. You saw the chaos. You saw the pain. You saw the the ugliness. And you knew deep down that wasn't right. (laughs) That's not how God wanted it to be. It's not the world he created, and it's not. (laughs) And it's not how it's going to be forever. (laughs) You didn't realize that you could choose to be part of God's kingdom, but you can. You can be free. You can be free from that that cycle of sin and mistakes and anger and violence and hate and separation and ruined relationships. And you can be free of that. You can be free. You can change your family you can change the environment all around you you can change your attitude you can you can this sounds crazy you making that choice changes your eternal destiny everything i was talking to somebody i I might have mentioned this before but it just i was talking to them and they they didn't see it and they said well i'm not sure about that and i said well you need to be sure because the eternal destiny of your soul depends on it You want to be really sure. I don't want you to make any mistake about this, though. I want to be clear about this. We're getting ready to close, but I really want you to hear this. The gospel's not about accepting. The gospel's not just about accepting Jesus into your life. He's he's not an accessory. Or an addition. He's not an outfit you wear. He's not something you do on Sundays 
for two hours. That's not how it works. We need to be clear about this, right? Because when you join, you join. <laughs> this may be a horrible example, but I'm giving it. My dad was a redhead. I remember one day he was putting all the sunscreen on. I'm like, Dad, now you're even whiter. I was a little guy, you know. And he goes, well, I got to do this because the government owns me. I remember like, wait, what? Because I'm in the Navy. I can't get a sunburn. If I, can't, if I can't show up and serve, I'm in trouble. That twisted my brain for a long time as a kid. But this army's the same way, kind of. If you choose to join, you're, it's not an accessory. It's not like you just accept him and add him on. It's not like he just rides in your hip pocket or in the, in the what do they say, God's my co-pilot? That's not right. He's the pilot. You're at best the co-pilot. Jesus, Jesus doesn't want you to be added to, add you to him to your life. He wants to take over your life. And if you didn't know that, you need to know that. It's total surrender. It's total surrender. I tried to research the, the origin of this story, but it, it appears so many places. I'm not even sure where it originated. I, I, I read it about the soldiers that became Christians in Gaul. I read about it in different soldiers, but the story is, I, I read it about the Knights of the Templar. I don't even know if, it, I, I don't know where it originated, but the story still rings true. That as these soldiers became Christians, they were willing to become Christians, but as they were baptized, they would hold their sword hand out of the water because they didn't want to give it all. I know, there's, I know there's people here at all levels of commitment to Christ. I know that. Because we're humans. I get it. And I know that we move in and out of that commitment. And some days we do really great. I know it. Some weeks, months, years. Then at times we struggle. Or we might let in a sin or something that creeps in. An attitude. I know. I know because we're human. And I know there's people here who maybe haven't surrendered anything yet. <laughs> and you're thinking, Really? All of that? Yes. So the sermon's for all of us today because it's true, it's quite possibly true that somebody needs to surrender something. And what's beautiful about the Holy Spirit, one of the things he does is convict us of sin. And I'll bet you already know what it is. (laughs) Maybe not something I said, but it's something he said. And it popped into your head and you know, I need to surrender that. I'm gonna ask you to shut your eyes, everybody in the room. The first thing I'm going to ask is there's somebody who needs to surrender themselves for the first time. You've never done this before. You might have heard this story before. Or you might have heard that Jesus loves you, cares about you, wants a relationship. You may have heard that before, but you didn't realize it was total surrender he's asking for. But you realize today you want to give him that. You're going to give him your life, your values, your attitudes, your future, your choices, your past. He'll take it all and he'll make it beautiful. I promise you. Anybody here like that? That you give him your life today? First time. Anybody at all? All right, then this is for the rest of us. I'm just curious, and this is between you and God. Um, Everybody keep your eyes closed. 
just wondering if in talking about this today, you realize there's something you need to surrender. Anybody at all? Just raise your hand real quick. You and God, that's it. There's hands all over the building, of course. Because if we're honest, I think we're always in a state where we need to work on something. And here's the beauty, is God is here for that, for each and every one of you. Would you stand with me? I'm gonna open up this, this front area for prayer. We have people here who are ready to pray with you. And they will pray with you about what you raised your hand for or anything else, whether it's healing, gifts of the spirit, whatever it is in your life, something that you just need somebody to stand with you and agree with you in prayer, we wanna pray with you. So if that is you, I wanna give a moment for you to come and be prayed with. Don't wait, just step out right now and come down and these faithful brothers and sisters will pray with you. It's not like we have all the answers, but we know who does. And we wanna pray with you. So if you need prayer for anything, please don't wait, just come out right now and pray. And as you come and pray, I'm gonna ask everybody to continue in this attitude of prayer and to kind of shut your eyes again. I mentioned it a couple times, but I, I wanna make sure that you understand that being a Christian isn't just for me and you, just for you to be great. What, what God invites us to do is join him in this. When you become part of the family of Christ, the family of God, when you become that joint heir, you are invited to join and take part in this great campaign of sabotage. Your job is to fight the enemy everywhere, starting with you, with your family, with your friends, with your, your work friends, with your church. And the first way we fight is literally on our knees, you praying for them. For some of you, it's gonna be, it's gonna mean there needs to be reconciliation. There needs to be forgiveness. For some of you, you're gonna fight the evil by, by helping. I know our women yesterday, they went and served at harvesters. That's fighting the war. For some of you, it's gonna be fighting in other ways. But the fact is, I'm asking or telling you that this is something you need to do. So I wanna pray with you. I wanna lift you up in prayer that God would help you join that campaign of sabotage today. Maybe for you, you've, you've just thought, well, I'm good, I'm, I've asked for forgiveness, I'm, I'm saved, I'm living good, I'm, I'm good. No, it's more than that. So I'm gonna ask you, I'm gonna challenge you that God would speak to you clearly about whatever that is as we pray and close this service today. So pray with me, please. Father God, I'm amazed, amazed, amazed that you cared enough about us first to create us and then to send your son, send your son into occupied territory behind enemy lines in disguise. I'm amazed that you would do this and I'm grateful that you did this. And I'm grateful then that you redeem us and that you call us children and that you invite us to join in this battle of sabotage. And I pray, God, for everyone in this room that you would speak to us clearly about what it is that you need us to do to join in this battle, what you need to do in us, whatever it is that we need to, to give up and to sacrifice for you. 
But also, Lord God, whatever it is that we need to do, whether it's somebody we need to talk to, somebody we need to forgive, somebody we need to help, somebody we need to befriend, whatever it is we need to do, God, I pray that you would guide us into that, be clear about what it is, and help us to do that. Give us the strength and boldness and courage and will to do that. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you today. Join the campaign of sabotage today. And have fun with that, okay? All right, get them.